Good morning to everybody. And thank you for the invitation. Ladies and gentlemen, for me it's a pleasure to be here. My first time, so uh, I've prepared some keynotes or notes uh, to not omit or forget some uh, important meaning. Uh, but let me start with some story. Uh, maybe you, you know that, it's an old story, uh, despite the fact that it's talking about Facebook, Wikipedia, Google and Internet, they've met and uh, they are talking uh, to each other. And Facebook states, yeah, I know everybody. Wikipedia states, I know everything. Google, I have everything. And Internet, without me, you are nothing. And there's a small person in the corner sitting and this is electricity and it's saying, yeah, keep talking, guys, keep talking. Uh, just to start with this, uh, uh, there is a small lesson learned from, for me from the story and uh, that's stating, look at the skies, but stay with both feet on the ground. And uh, today for me, this is a day to look at the skies, but still we have to be aware of the reality about the situation uh, which we are facing with the pandemic, with the digitalization and so on and so on. And therefore, for me, this is a great and great opportunity uh, today to be here and to talk about the digitalization and fintech innovations. Why? Yeah, especially in the pandemic era or post-COVID era, which I hope we will be facing in some months ago, uh, we have the opportunity to restart the economy and to proceed with everything which, uh, which we started. And there is a small issue on this path, which I think Slovakia has chosen, this recovery and resilience plan. You know uh, that uh, Slovakia is taking part in this uh, great and huge opportunity which the uh, European Union has chosen. And uh, one milestone on this road is the digitalization. And uh, why I'm talking about it? Yeah, uh, progressive knowledge-based economy uh, will be the leader, or the main leader for the 21st century uh, for the Slovakia, if we want to take part uh, and proceed in the future. And the second important issue is uh, that uh, everything what we do and uh, all this digital issue and the agenda shall be sustainable, shall be sustainable uh, in three pillars economical, social, and environmental. Environmental sounds a little bit uh, strange uh, for, uh, for you if uh, we talk about it, but uh, it's not a mistake, uh, because all the FinTech uh, results, all the proceeds, and all uh, the efforts we spent uh, with uh, sustainability and FinTech will reduce our uh, footstep, reduce what, uh, what we do to the planet. Social, yeah, we, we shall proceed as fast as possible, but we shall not omit uh, uh, that everything what we do uh, has an impact 
even on the poorer, even on the older people, even on all the other ones uh, which we have in the country. And uh, economically, yeah, I mean, you are maybe aware of, uh, I'm here for the Ministry of Finance, so uh, we have to deliver something also uh, on the financial side. And uh, what's uh, most important of that, everything what we do in fintech shall be sustainable, which maybe you come to the point further in the discussion, is not always the case with all the uh, cryptocurrencies and uh, all the efforts, but it's definitely the case with the fintech. So I'm very glad to be here today with you uh, and to talk uh, about the relevant fintech issues and all the processes and all the efforts and all the developments which we have, which definitely I think will be the place here for the discussions with the other experts. And uh, thank you for the invitation and thank you to be here. Now it's time for introducing our keynote speaker. Our keynote speaker, unfortunately, could not make it to Slovakia this time. It's Marius Jurgilas, a board member of the Bank of Lithuania. Thank you, Chair. Uh, dear ladies and gentlemen, uh, uh, the ministers, vice ministers, uh, state secretaries, and all honored guests from uh, Bratislava. Um, uh, I really would like to come to Bratislava one day. I'm sure I'm going to do it, uh, but uh, due to the times that we are in, it was not feasible. So my apologies. Uh, I come from uh, Bank of Lithuania, uh, where I serve as a board member responsible for financial infrastructure research and uh, just recently finished my term uh, as responsible for supervision. So it's very honorable for me to be doing this opening speech uh, at your conference. Uh, I'm very honored by this. And I'll be talking today about the central bank digital currencies, uh, stable coins, and crypto market regulation. We will have a, a panel discussing uh, this. So I will also reserve some of my thoughts uh, for, for the discussion panel. Uh, let me start off, and I, in the interest of time, I'll be very brief. Uh, with the, with the beginning, um, I think it is fair to acknowledge that right now uh, we have a, a huge focus on the subject of central bank digital currencies, cryptocurrencies as such. Everyone is reading in the news uh, yet another coin this or coin that, uh, making 50% uh, in uh, appreciation. Uh, we are supervisors or central bank regulators uh, are raising our eyebrows. So the fact is this, there's a, there's a lot of attention to the subject, as signified by my keynote at your conference, but was not always like this. And we don't have to go very far in, into the history to pick a point in time where this subject was absolutely not on the agenda of any regulators, central bankers including. And um, we can ask, why was that the case? Um, but let's not do that. Uh, let's start at the, as I said, at the beginning, and almost like in a, in a Bible. Uh, at first, here comes the cryptocurrency. Uh, why did cryptocurrencies came into the existence? Uh, well, you can say that was a rebellion to some uh, issues uh, in finance or some fringes of a society, if, if I can say so, uh, deciding to engage in something which looked promising to them that they can stick it to the man 
and uh, be outside of a regulatory perimeter uh, and also sell the promise of uh, democratization of finance. So no one controls it. There's no centralized issuing body. So it really looked uh, somewhat promising. But as I said, this was not at the epicenter of uh, supervisors, central bankers, uh, including the, the euro system. We looked at it, we raised our eyebrows, and we said, that's a children's game. Uh, it's a new instance. Uh, there's nothing uh, of uh, substance there. Uh, it's not, you know, the usual blah, blah, not backed by anything, uh, not sustainable, as uh, State Secretary just said. Uh, uses a lot of electricity, some of the uh, proof of concept, uh, that uh, proof of works that needs to be done uh, to sustain those uh, cryptocurrencies. And uh, it created some issues. Uh, you know, the issues we know, all of them. Uh, but we looked at it uh, also with a professional eye. Uh, we saw it almost as a marketing making with all associated uh, microstructure issues associated with uh, uh, not a currency, but uh, a class of assets. And a new class of assets was born. And now we, even from a regulatory perspective, acknowledge that uh, it's not cryptocurrency. At least in Lithuania, we classify it as a crypto asset with all associated implications for taxation and all the other purposes. And we looked how this uh, asset class is evolving. Uh, it needed definitions. Uh, it needed trading facilities. I'm, I'm sure we'll be discussing about that in the panel. Uh, price discovery mechanisms uh, and invest protection. And also, I'm referring to Lithuania, we had a, an issue, uh, and that issue was uh, some of the issues of uh, those crypto assets uh, were not truthful and uh, created some um, disturbances that we had to address from a consumer protection perspective. And I'm referring here to the ICO boom that we all went through, including Lithuania. All right, that was the first step. Then the second step was a bit maturing of that sector and the desire to reduce the uncertainty that we have and the uncertainty in price of, uh, of those assets. And here I'm talking about uh, emergence of stable coins. Uh, what is a stable coin? Uh, for a country which comes from a currency board arrangement where the national currency was tied to another asset, either US dollar before or Euro, before the uh, eurozone uh, accession we all understand in those countries in, in lithuania what does it mean for currency to be tied for some asset and that's what the stable coin is promising in essence it is saying let's reduce the volatility of an asset by tying to some underlying anchor uh, the anchor could be uh, gold uh, physical commodity it could be a currency it could be a basket of currencies, or it could be just an algorithm which ensures uh, programmically that uh, the value of that, now I'm referring not to an asset, a currency can be stable. And that rings a bell. Stability of a currency is something which is the primary objective of institutions like ours. 
central banks are in the business of ensuring that the value of a currency does not depreciate or appreciate too much. That's what we do. But that was what the stable coins are also promising. And that's the juncture in history where the eyebrows of central bankers all around the world were raised even higher. Of course, first of all, all the issues of technical importance jump into the scene. Is it feasible? Technologically, can the transactions of the order of magnitude and throughput that are needed in the global and local economy, can it be sustained, right? And that's what triggered the investigation phase in the central banking community in the area of central bank digital currencies. And I'm gonna to switch to this subject. What is central bank digital currency? Is that, as I'm just telling you, a response into the, to this private initiative? Or it's a, a phenomenon in itself? I think it's both. Why is that? Some of my fellow uh, central bankers are still saying, I think rightly so, that central bank digital currency could be a, a solution looking for a problem. Um, that is almost right in some areas of the world, but maybe not exactly right in others. And that is why we have a very diverse uh, progression in central bank digital currency space all around the world. In the countries of Southeast Asia, they have moved very far ahead in terms of already testing uh, real and live implementations of central bank digital currency with the objective of maybe looking for efficiencies in replacing cash, the physical cash. In other areas of the world, like Caribbean, uh, they're looking uh, to address the issue of financial inclusion. What issues are we trying to address, for example, in the Eurozone? And uh, here I'm going to delay my answer to this question, to the debate that we'll have in the panel. But the question is really important. What is the issue that central bank digital currency is trying to address? Is there a problem? Is really our financial order broken? Global financial order. As I said, there are some fringes of a society that are claiming so, but to the large extent, no or not yet. Are centralized infrastructures failing? Actually, the opposite. During the pandemic and uh, you know increase in online transactions all around the world, central bank provided infrastructures and private market provided clearing and settlement infrastructures really sustained huge flows and increases in flows and nothing broke down. So the answer is no. Actually, the opposite. We are together with private market introducing new instruments. Let's talk about instant payments or ability to make payments from mobile apps to each other. So person to person payments, which the private marketing participants are introducing. So it seems that even private market instruments are catching up to reality. So what is the issue that has not been addressed yet? And let me point one. I think the issue that is not really on the radar in any national debate is the issue of cross-border payments. 
And that's fair because majority of the payments in any country are made locally. And from institutional perspective, from infrastructure perspective, legislative perspective, everything is taken care of and the citizen or business in any nationality, he feels completely satisfied. Unless you engage in uh, international trade or you have to engage in cross-border transactions. And that's when you hit the problem. And that's, I think, where the space of central bank digital currencies uh, is most promising. And I think that's the case uh, why institutions like Bank of International Settlements, uh, Financial Stability Board are jumping at the issue and saying, this is the area where we are looking for improvements. Having said that, we also have a, a, a legal aspect to address here. Is central bank digital currency uh, an infrastructure like Target 2? Is central bank digital currency an instrument like a card payment or credit transfer? The answers to those questions have legal implications, uh, which could be titled uh, by asking the question, is digital currency, digital dollar or digital euro or RNB, is it a legal tender? If it is a legal tender, everything falls through because legal tender is provided by the state, designated entity, competent authority, national central bank or the system, euro system in our case, and we will implement it and produce it. If it is just an instrument, yet another one serving some purpose, maybe the private participants can introduce it. Are we competing with them? If we are competing with them, what do we do when we engage with them and start talking about technical issues? Are we not infringing on intellectual property in case we are competing with them? There are very important questions that need to be addressed in this debate. But I'll finish uh, with a lighter remark. I had once a conversation with my son, who is a 12-year-old, and uh, he teased me into joining a, a computer game that he's playing. It's a computer game, I'm not going to say the name of it, but it has uh, how, almost half a billion of users online. And you know me, I just joined the game and immediately he said, Dad, you need to change your outfit. Like, what do you mean outfit? Uh, because you look like default. In, in that lingo, default in normal human language means you don't look appropriate. Like in this conference, I needed to dress up, look appropriate, right? In that digital world, you also need to look appropriate. You need things, outfits, uh, claiming some assets. And in that space, you need to trade and engage. And I said, in that particular game, there are half a billion users all globally engaging in transactions. And I started investigating and trying to talk to my son. And he pushed me aside saying, Dad, stop it. Don't pretend like you, are, you are understand what you're talking about. You are just a casual traveler in my world. I live here, said my son. And that's the thing that we need also to address, that some things of our society is switching into virtual digital space where we spend our time 
maybe not productively, but that's what's happening. Thank you. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Hello. Good morning. Uh, can we hear you? Marius is there. Very good. Good morning, Marius. Now I would like to introduce the other speakers. We have Ludovic Odor, Deputy Governor of National Bank of Slovakia. Please welcome up on the stage. You can sit uh, just next to me here. That will be perfect. Welcome. Marcel Klimek is already here. That's perfect. Oldrich Didik, Bank Board Member of the National Bank of Czech Republic. Welcome up, up on the stage. Please. Then we have one online participant, Rok Svels from Slovenia, Legal Officer DG FISMA European Commission. Martin Brunko, Binance Executive Vice President in Europe. So, Ludovic Odor, Deputy Governor of National Bank in Slovakia, what is your opinion on Central Bank and what's the progress in Slovakia? So from my perspective and, and why we are uh, working quite hard to investigate uh, the possibility to issue a digital euro is that, uh, of course, we live in a, a different century and this century is definitely digital. So also the financial system has to adapt uh, to these new, new conditions. And but but from my perspective, it uh, should serve the public. So, the central banks are here to offer stability of the system and offer services, which are of course so which have uh, value added to the citizens. So, what does it mean actually that what we need is and we always uh, or almost always were the providers of really uh, a safe, cheap currency and uh, with um, a, a privacy in uh, our minds. So basically, if you look at uh, uh, how cheap or how costly are transactions, it is definitely true what uh, Mario said, that international transactions are extremely slow and, and very costly. And also, uh, in, uh, if you look at um, uh, the retail trade, some of the merchants are complying that even using uh, uh, cards this is really a, a costly thing to do. And, you know, uh, you know the situation. You, you come to a, a merchant and he says, if you pay cash, I will give you some discount. So from that perspective, there are also still some inefficiencies on the markets which can be, uh, you know, uh, solved if there is a, a trusted uh, currency issued by the sovereign. And... Um, Another aspect which was very important when we asked uh, uh, citizens all over Europe, uh, you know, are you in favor of uh, central bank digital currency? What are the aspects which are really relevant uh, uh, to you? And number one was privacy, actually, which is, uh, you know, now uh, 
sometimes uh, if you look at uh, um, uh, some you know problems uh, which uh, you can see all over the world with um, uh, some social networks. So from that point of view, to, to tell it quite explicitly, I, I don't think that central banks will have an appetite to sell your data. So from that perspective, if there is if there's a demand from a citizens to have a currency which is still, you know, uh, still can feel the privacy there, that is an opportunity uh, to uh, do. Another quite uh, interesting aspect is that actually if cash is diminishing all over the world, then and if we really switch to uh, a fully digital monetary system, even if it is in, in, in euros, um, in, in that case, uh, still there might be um, uh, might be a reason to issue central bank digital currency as a kind of a backup system, which is very much separated from the traditional financial system. In order, you know, if something happens, if uh, there is a huge scale uh, cyber attack or whatever, then you can switch to another uh, system which is uh, which is um, robust and relevant. So I don't want to talk too much about it. So how I would like to summarize this is that there are still aspects of uh, the monetary system which requires uh, central banks and which, which requires monitoring of the stability of the system. And from that perspective, given that we live in the 21st century, um, there might be a, a strong case for um, a digital currency issued by the central bank but this, uh, you should understand this is a, as a complement to cash and not a substitute uh, to cash. If people uh, like cash, we are not, you know, rushing to abolish cash. This is something for the newer generation if they would like to, you know, have the same services as cash is uh, promising to you. But in a digital world, there uh, should be that opportunity. Uh, uh, in a form of a central bank digital currency. So this is all from my side as an introduction. Thank you. Thank you very much. Anybody have any comment on, on this introductory speech? In that case, I would like to leave the word to Aldrich Diedek, the second central banker on the panel today. So we start with the central bankers here. And your opinion on stable coins and central bank issued digital currency. Okay, also thanks very much for inviting me. Yes, I'm here for the first time in this premises, so I quite enjoy this space. So, uh, there is hardly any central bank uh, which uh, doesn't pay attention to the CBDC. Some are experimenting with them. The Czech National Bank is uh, the observer. Yes, as our governor said, we will not develop a COVID vaccine on our own. Yes, because uh, it's too expensive, so it's better to monitor what is the development around the world. Of course, we are closely monitoring uh, the project of Digital Euro, yes, the Swedish e-corona, and, and so on. Uh, so, um, and doing that, um, I have to say that uh, so far we have uh, more questions than 
answers, yes, if I can put it like that. Uh, I know that there are that there are several kinds of CBDC, as wholesale CBDC, multi-currency CBDC. What we are de debating is uh, retail CBDC, okay? What is the added value for the Czech citizens as from this uh, project? And uh, so far, yes, we are a little bit hesitating, yes? What problem can be fixed? Yes, if we look at uh, our banking system, yes, uh, we are quite happy that the banks are offering uh, uh, comfortable services yeah, in terms of uh, reliability, speed, yes, user-friendliness and uh, many other aspects. Uh, recently, we introduced the system of instant payments Yes, uh, the commercial banks appreciate uh, the position of the central bank that we can act as impartial, uh, impartial manager of uh, infrastructure on uh, which uh, commercial banks can use. And the next step is uh, the mobile payments. So uh, we think that uh, uh, the spectrum of uh, services is a uh, Quite happy. Of course, uh, we are observing the development. Yes, uh, there are debates that uh, the CBDC should uh, provide uh, the offline payments, or they can be involved in uh, programmable money, yes, smart contracts, and so on. Yes, that's true. But uh, once again, if, if commercial banks will find this area as an engine of innovation, so uh, they probably would be even better in, in offering uh, these services. So what will be the added value of the CBDC if the commercial banks will uh, provide these facilities uh, even better? So uh, maybe we are a little bit we are quite influenced yes, uh, from the current situation in the Czech uh, Republic. Yes, uh, we also have a payment system uh, uh, administered by the central bank and the employees and public bodies can use this system for sending money, receiving money, yes, and any other activities. But uh, if I compare our system of internet banking with uh, those of commercial banks, it's a huge difference, yes. We are not under permanent pressure to innovate. Yes, we have a monopoly to uh, to uh, handle uh, these uh, private bodies. On the other hand, yes, like Česká Spořitelna have a George, yes, commercial bank has also its, its system of its own. So it's, uh, the, the spectrum of services is much uh, wider. And uh, I also partly a teacher. Yes, recently I supervised a PhD thesis of a Chinese student which was paid attention uh, to why, uh, like uh, Alibaba and Tencent are so successful. And uh, the key thesis was that this is the spectrum of the services as targeted to all groups of people, as those who are involved in uh, environmental issues and others. So uh, I'm quite skeptical that uh, the central bank will be so successful 
and uh, that uh, the people, general people, when we debate the retail uh, CBDC, uh, will um, somehow appreciate appreciate uh, this project. I think uh, there is a trade-off. Yes, uh, the the money can serve several purposes. One of them is a store of value. And I agree that people would be happy yes, to have accounts uh, at the central bank because uh, this money are completely risk-free. But uh, it has some uh, consequences for financial stability, yes, uh, that uh, some limits should be put, yes, some spending limits, or, for example, the limits on uh, the balance sheets, which in order to minimize some problems for financial stability. But uh, uh, these uh, this limits may create problem for, let's say, the business people. Yes, they, they, if they would use the CBDC, uh, they, would be, they would feel constrained. Yes, on the other hand, there is a transaction motives which the CBDC can offer. But as I said, I don't think that we will be so attractive as uh, the payment services of uh, commercial, uh, commercial banks. So, of course, we are observing, yes, as I said, we are observing what's happening uh, in the Eurozone. Uh, our banks uh, have mothers in the Eurozone. So uh, from the banking point of view, we are members of the Eurozone yes, because 90% uh, of banks is owned by Eurozone bankers. So if a solution will be fine there, okay, it will be easy to adopt it in the Czech uh, Republic as well. Thanks. Thank you. I have one follow-up question. As a central banker, are you not afraid of losing the monopoly if uh, private banks are issuing currency? I, uh, I think that we don't, we don't have a monopolized uh, banking system. We have uh, four big uh, banks, okay, which share uh, the market. Uh, I, I don't think uh, that's, uh, uh, that's an oligopolistic system. But uh, another question is, uh, if something would happen like that, is it really true that we cannot address this problem with some appropriate regulation? Yes. The, I think this, uh, this avenue should be also addressed. Okay. Please. Well, just I, I wanted to you know, uh, say that actually... Uh, your question is another relevant uh, one. Uh, to what extent uh, central banks feel that you know other private solution can dominate uh, on the market, and therefore uh, central banks will lose the the monopoly of issue money, and uh, also the fragility of the whole financial system can be a, a problem. And this was one of the triggers why, for example, we started discussions about uh, digital euro. So that is, I, I guess, a relevant, uh, relevant question. <clears throat> and also, in, in some cases, probably, uh, you know, even even the case of a small country like uh, Czech Republic, there can be a danger that uh, you will introduce digital euro sooner than you will introduce the euro in your country. Uh, as a, but, you know, that is just a, that is just a joke. <laughs> Thank you very much. And, yes, please. Like, like uh, one smaller remarks uh, as far as the monopoly. Of course, who has the monopoly for issuing the banknotes and coins? Yes. But even today, uh, this monopoly occupies, let's say, around 10% of the money supply. 
So it's uh, quite marginal, I would say, role. Uh, the the key uh, the key li the lion share yes. of the money market uh, uh, falls on uh, private money. Yes. yes. So uh, we also should not. Uh, I think uh, forget about this issue that even today, yes, uh, the the role of uh, the central bank money, yes, if if it is uh, if it is uh, seen as a banknote and knows is uh, uh, quite marginal, I would say. Yes, Martin Brunko from Binance would like to comment as well. Yeah, I think when it comes to losing the monopoly, also it's very important to distinguish what kind of stable coins we're talking about. And I think, you know, if you look at the, where, where the main stable coins are, these are fiat-based stable coins. So, um, I mean, effectively, it's a big question, are, are there really central banks losing monopoly if, if effectively the stable coin is fully backed one-to-one -one with the fiat, uh, fiat reserve, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a very different question than if we talk about a stable coin that might be an algorithmic, fully, you know, crypto-based stable coin. Or like what Libra originally proposed, Facebook with Libra, where they had a basket of currencies, um, et cetera. But I think it's a great question, and it's, it's certainly a key uh, and a very important consideration. But it, it's then very important to also keep in mind where, which way the quote-unquote market is moving uh, uh, towards what type of stablecoin. And uh, stablecoins, they are fully backed by fiat currency? There have been some doubts about that regarding some stable coins. Discuss it later, yeah. It's a very good, it's a very good question. Okay. Okay. Now I'd like to call to Rock Schwelz, the legal officer at DG FISPA European Commission. Of course, it comes to regulation, legislation. He can give us some insight into this market for central bank currency and private created digital currency. Please, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much, everybody. Um, so our so the speakers have already addressed uh, addressed addressed the issue of CBDC. So this is one of the very important work stream that is uh, led by the European Central Bank and the Commission is uh, closely cooperating with them in this investigation phase because we really need to ensure that all issues are addressed, that trade offs are thoroughly discussed, so that we get. Uh, this uh, this project right at the end of the day, but it will still last uh, quite some time before um, it will be uh, up and running. But we um, but I will talk now uh, about a different project that is uh, more imminent. Um, then this is how to regulate cryptocurrencies and stable coins. That was also um, that was also the question before uh, because um, this. Uh, this project is now um, already in the discuss discussed in the Council and the European Parliament, and I will present uh, this legal framework that the Commission proposed in um, September 2020. Um, so what we proposed is actually two legal acts, uh, one addressing um, crypto assets uh, that are already regulated uh, by the existing uh, financial services legislation. So these are so-called tokenized securities. And we have proposed an act that is called the DRT uh, pilot. So it's a pilot on uh, market infrastructures based uh, on DRT, on digital ledger technology. 
And here, um, the idea was because we did the investigation as we do now for this, uh, you know, with the central bank, uh, we did an investigation and um, the European supervisory authorities uh, issued a report that said that um, some crypto assets are already covered by the existing financial services legislation. Um, this can be, um, you know, a financial instrument and there is a dense legislation on financial instruments. But the problem is that this financial services legislation has not been written with uh, crypto, this new technology in mind. So they maybe it may not be the most appropriate for this new, technolo new technology. And here we are in DLT pilot, we are focusing on the area of trading um, and post-trading. So trading and settlement on digitalized securities where um, DLT technology has a lot of promise, a lot of potential in terms of security, in terms of uh, speed of the transactions, transparency. But we don't see many projects um, in the EU um, in this area um, or that the project that there are more of experimental nature. Uh, the problem is uh, that maybe it's because of the EU legislation that is hampering this development uh, of such project within the European Union. And we have now come up with a regulation that actually enables experimentation by allowing market infrastructures to get a certain uh, flexibility or derogations from the uh, targeted rules in the financial services legislation that may hamper the development of this technology. And based on this experiment, we will get more evidence uh, uh, which uh, financial services legislation may be not fit for purpose, and this will inform future development of the EU legislation. So this is a kind of time-limited experimental regime focused on crypto assets that are currently already regulated by the financial services legislation. But in our investigation, we also found that most of the crypto assets are not regulated by the um, current financial services legislation. Um, although they may exhibit similar risk than uh, securities or financial instruments in terms of investor protection, uh, market integrity, market manipulation, uh, and financial stability. And there was also the issue of uh, stable coins that was actually discussed um, at the international forum. The regulators around the world were, were, were grappling with the question how to regulate and how, what's, how to address the risk stemming from uh, stable coins because they can become global stable coins and would have, uh, could have implications for financial stability. Uh, so the EU responded, uh, besides this DLT pilot that is focused on the um, trading and post-trading on financial securities, we responded with a comprehensive framework on crypto assets that are not covered by the existing legislations. It's called, this act is called a regulation on markets in crypto assets. Uh, so the shorthand, the abbreviation is MICA, we call it MICA. And um, in this, um, in this um, um, act, we propose to regulate issuers of crypto assets and also um, is, uh, um, crypto asset service providers. So the service providers that, um, that provide services in relation to crypto assets, this can be trading platform, exchanges, um, execution of orders and other services in relation to that. And uh, just to lightline the main um, the main the main approach or the main objective of this act, uh, we don't want to stifle innovation here, but on the contrary, what we want to enable innovation by providing a kind of clear 
dedicated legal framework that would pro provide legal certainty to the market operators. So because the companies, they like legal certainty that the, the legal framework will not change, that it, it won't be banned. And then at the same time, they don't need to comply with uh, specific legislation of each member states, but once they are authorized or once they comply with EU legislation, they can provide services across the European Union. So the, it's good uh, for, for, for the industry, but at the same time, there is always the balance that we need to address uh, the issues, uh, the societal issues uh, that uh, and the risk that are arising from these new classes of crypto assets. And these are investor protection, market integrity, financial stability, and also in the case of uh, stable coins also um, financial sovereignty um, um, monetary transmission issues um, and uh, what uh, how we have regulated this what our proposal is actually that we regulated the issuers of crypto assets that we divide uh, in three categories uh, two are stable coins so the most uh, the most stringent regulation is on stable coins that are called e-money tokens that uh, that refer to a single uh, currency so us uh, dollar uh, euro uh, and this um, uh, we propose to regulate those as e-money so it means that they they would need to have uh, fully backed reserve because there would be redemption rights at par so if you get one euro you would you would, you could get one euro back uh, so it's the most stringent regulation regulation is those that can be um, actually issued only by uh, money institutions and uh, uh, credit institutions and they need to be authorized, the issuers need to be authorized within the European Union. Then we have the second category of stable coins that are called uh, asset reference tokens uh, that refer to a basket of currencies, commodities or crypto assets. So it's a kind of, uh, they stable, stabilize the value vis-a-vis -a, -vis a basket of uh, different assets. And those, uh, the regulation is uh, that we proposed is uh, um, uh, a little bit not so robust as for uh, e-money tokens, but nevertheless uh, quite important obligations that they need to be a reserve of assets, there needs to be full transparency on the redemption rights. Um, also, um, these um, issuers need to be authorized within the European Union to be able to, to issue uh, uh, these uh, crypto assets. Uh, and lots of organizational prudential requirements uh, also on capital requirements and so on. And then the final category is all other crypto assets that are not stable coins and that are not currently regulated. And these are all these cryptocurrencies that are highly volatile altcoins and so on. Uh, also um, um, the so-called uh, utility tokens uh, that fall in these categories. Just to let me know that there are also certain thresholds proposed that not that, for example, like crypto assets that don't have financial use would be excluded. So that always needs to be a certain balance what you regulate or not. But this, the last category, it's the most least touch approach. Here we focus on transparency and disclosure. So every issuer would need to prepare um, uh, a white paper uh, where the characteristics of the crypto crypto assets is uh, is uh, is uh, uh, are fully described, and uh, there is also liability. There is a there is a kind of misguiding information and uh, and things like that. So it's more about transparency. They need to notify the project in the main member states, but they don't need to be authorized. And then finally, the final category is crypto asset service providers. For example, um, exchanges. Um, 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 then uh, uh, crypto exchanges, uh, they are um, 
trading venues that you know that when you trade with uh, crypto assets these are crypto asset service providers and for those we also have an obligation to be authorized within the european union and to, to comply with certain obligations on conduct of business requirements organizational and prudential requirements um, and also some specific uh, obligations in relation to each service that we have uh, borrowed and adapted more in proportionate manner from the similar legislation that we have for the financial services so this these are two acts that we have proposed um, uh, at the European level. Now they are being discussed uh, within the Council and the European Parliament. Um, uh, DIT uh, negotiations are a little bit more advanced because we are already at the trilogue phase and the MICA regulation is now uh, at, at the phase before the trilogues. Uh, but we, we expect that they could be adopt, uh, adopted next year. Thank you very much. <clears throat> Interesting that the European Commission have got so far in their legislative framework and the framework regarding stable coins. I guess that was new to many of us. Probably not new to Martin from Binance, who is in this business. I hope you can enlighten us what this uh, means for your business and uh, for the issuers of stable coins and other cryptocurrencies. Thank you so much for that. I have prepared a couple of slides. Could you please show them on this back? Um, so uh, going eight years back, exactly to the date, I was having a breakfast in Palo Alto in the middle of Silicon Valley with this fintech entrepreneur. He built the most successful fintech in Latin America, sold it to one of the biggest Spanish banks uh, in early 2000. And he was telling me in 2013, October, Martin, the next big thing, it's basically, it's, it's this Bitcoin thing. And it's the greatest money, you know, finally we're going to have great money here and this is going to replace all the money and, you know, this is the future of money. Uh, and, and you cannot trust the central banks, you know, the central bank, the government money, they're worthless, they're terrible, really we need to, this is the future of money. So I look at him and I tell him, I mean, first of all, Vences, you're from Argentina, so of course you don't trust your central bank. But those of us who come from OECD countries, we have absolutely no reason not to trust your, uh, the, the central banks. Actually, the money that we've been using for many, many decades and centuries, they're, they're pretty solid. I don't think there's much of a reason to uh, go to uh, other kind of money. Second thing, as a Harvard-trained economist, let me tell you about money. And let me tell you the definition of a good money. And actually, one of the definitions of good money is that it's a, uh, it's a good medium of exchange. And that means that the value needs to be stable. Because if you're trying to exchange against something whose value is changing all the time, it's pretty useless. And you look at, you look at Bitcoin, the price is fluctuating even by 10% sometimes during the day. So it's basically useless uh, as money. So, you know, allow me if I'm going to be a little bit skeptical. Now, fast forward eight years, and if I can get the next slide, and here we are. Uh, uh, first of all, we're discussing, um, you know, stable coins here with three central bankers and white one deputy minister on the same panel. And really, it's an honor to be speaking here. But if you actually look at now, you know, what does this industry mean? So the total market capitalization of all the assets right now is roughly $2.5 trillion. The daily trading volume on the crypto exchanges is more than $100 billion. So that's just to give you a sense, that's almost 50% of the daily volume trading on NASDAQ. Uh, and actually, if you look at the market cap, uh, capitalization, you know, that, that's probably bigger than most of the large financial companies uh, combined. The number of daily transactions on Ethereum and Binance Smart Chain is 2.7 million. Uh, uh, so, 
you know, we're really coming into a new world here. Next slide, please. So within this new world, uh, there's Binance. Uh, and I'm sure most of you, and if not all of you, have heard of Binance. We are the biggest uh, crypto exchange in the world, but we're also the biggest um, uh, ecosystem in the world. We're not just a crypto exchange. Uh, uh, there's all kinds of other infrastructure that we're providing, including Binance Smart Chain, uh, which, uh, as I said, now actually accounts for more transactions per day than Ethereum. Uh, it's fully compatible with Ethereum, uh, but uh, the transaction costs are much, much lower. This is why there is such a huge take-up. Um, the Binance uh, coin, BNB, that's basically the third uh, largest uh, crypto asset in the world after Bitcoin and uh, Ethereum. And um, we also have the world's, you know, the, the largest, by far the largest uh, share market share of all the crypto exchanges, roughly 70% uh, compared to Coinbase, which is number two, which, which is 8%. Uh, so we're really at the heart of the crypto world. Uh, next, next slide, please. So, so, you know, with that kind of market share, with that kind of power, with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, and what, one thing I would like to remind everyone is we're, only, we're a company which is a four-year-old company. So, so, you know, that's almost a child still. Uh, uh, but we're, you know, we've become very big, very important, very powerful. So um, while we've been going through this very, very rapid growth over the past four years, uh, there was always a focus on doing things right. But we probably didn't get everything 100% right. And so now is the time where we're really kind of refocusing our priorities. And, and our key priority, the top priority right now, is a massive focus on strengthening our regulatory compliance uh, regulatory and compliance framework. Uh, so there is, you know, there's always been, but now dramat there's dramatic focus on particularly three issues, uh, financial crime prevention, uh, consumer protection, and also ensuring that whatever we do has no negative impact on financial market uh, integrity and stability. Um, we've been, we're now starting to really strengthen the transparency uh, uh, and, and proactive communication with local regulators. Uh, and um, we're also starting to work with some of the local reg regulators to ensure that, uh, you know, as the gorilla in the room, that we set the right example for the rest of the industry. Uh, next slide, please. Um, so, I mean, just on strengthening our regulatory and compliance framework, since this is such a big priority for us. Um, we have, uh, we have been hiring massive amounts of people. I mean, I've been working on and off with Binance for the past two years, but actually I myself just joined uh, about uh, two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago. Uh, I've spent, uh, um, you know, on and off uh, more than a decade uh, in various functions in government, um, uh, uh, including at the European level in the uh, Eurogroup Working Group and uh, EMF. We are strengthening, massively strengthening now KYC processes and also our infrastructure uh, for, for all users across the European economic area. Uh, and we're also now starting to participate proactively in regulatory discussions and, and partner with local re regulators uh, and also investigators. We're actually now also massively hiring people from investigative police uh, forces uh, so that we have you know, this capability and capacity internally. Um, uh, so, where that brings me now with, with uh, so this was just a brief intro on, on Binance, sort of who we are and what real focus. Again, the key message here is that it's great to be on this panel with regulators because that, that's really our focus now. 
And I think, you know, moving back to the issue of stable coins, um, we want to be an infrastructure provider uh, for, the, for the blockchain economy. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, you know, the, the stable coins, they are a key part of this infrastructure. And it's actually great to have a discussion to what extent uh, this infrastructure should be provided by the, by the government or the central banks and to, to what extent by private entities. I mean, I think, you know, there was an example that you started with, uh, Mr. State Secretary, about electricity. And I think electricity is a good example. There were times when electricity was provided only by private companies. There were times when electricity was provided by state only. Uh, we are now moving towards a world, or we have, I think, moved more and more towards a world where electricity is being provided largely by uh, private companies. But there is a very strong regulatory framework, and there is a very strong oversight telling these private companies how they need to behave, what they need to do uh, to ensure legitimate public concerns and, 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 and priorities. So I think we're still in the early days. The, the, I, I think there's a huge uh, value to, to stable coins uh, as, as, as part of this essential infrastructure pro for blockchain. Um, even if you read papers by the likes of the uh, BIS, um, so you know, OECD, even they acknowledge that there's huge potential for innovation in, in financial instruments, in payments, that is linked to uh, stable coins, but there's obviously also very good risks. You have indirectly pointed out one of them uh, with the question to me, I think. And um, that's why I think this is really important for all of us, and particularly for the private sector participants, that, that there is a very strong, strong rule setting by the regulators, because I think otherwise the risk is something very bad might happen and if something very bad happens uh, um, within the market, I think it's going to negatively influence, you know, not just the market, but all the private sector participants. So I think it's in the benefit, for the benefit of the private sector participant, like Binance, to have um, regulators who don't stifle innovation. I think this is critical. So, so the, the, the regulatory framework really needs to be, it needs to be smart, it needs to be enlightened, it needs to be reasonably light touch. But for sure, uh, I think all of us would agree that, um, uh, you know, the, the, the days of the Wild West of the 2013, when I first bought Bitcoin, uh, are over. And it's a good thing that they're over. And I think it's a good thing that now we're being taken seriously as an industry by the regulators. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, I would like to hear Mr. State Secretary's comments here, given that... Um, Bitcoins and such are mainly used for transactions by criminals paying somebody who hijacked your computer, computer network, your oil pipeline, your databases in the hospital, etc., etc. Uh, we understand why the regulator haven't done so much about this because whatever country moves first will lock out their citizens from an asset while other citizens can take advantage of it. But what should the governments do? What uh, should the Ministry of Finance worry about when it comes to non-stable coins, but, uh, to, but uh, this um, Bitcoin and similar digital currencies? Thank you. Uh, that's a very good uh, question. And uh, let me start with the uh, topic that we have, the CBDC. Uh, this is the central bank digital uh, currencies, and uh, this is part for me uh, of the answer because uh, the, there is a, several questions linked uh, to the theme uh, you've touched. Uh, we have now 
the area where we have uh, a lot of uh, cryptocurrencies. Uh, some of them uh, are stable coins, some of them are uh, not, uh, some of them are backed, some of them uh, not. Uh, generally, if uh, we have a situation uh, where we uh, see that some of the major uh, economies, let's take the Chinese, uh, uh, are uh, bringing to the market the digital yuan or digital uh, currencies, we have to uh, react uh, to that uh, somehow. And uh, I think uh, the uh, CBDC uh, as such uh, is a good answer uh, and a good solution. Because uh, uh, let me uh, see from different perspective. First of all, uh, yeah, uh, you have an electronic cash or electronic money uh, nowadays. But uh, this electronic money has some, uh, some negatives. Yeah? You bear in risk of your uh, bank. Uh, this is the first uh, risk. It means uh, this is not with uh, central bank. This is with your private uh, bank. Second, uh, uh, your transactions are under control uh, from different perspectives. First of all, uh, uh, all of the transactions you made uh, you make with your electronic money uh, is somewhere written uh, and the second uh, let uh, me take it uh, 10 years ago uh, to the example of Greece I think uh, in Greece there was uh, one of the answers to the crisis that uh, the deposits above some certain limit the colleagues may help me uh, were taxed or were uh, nationalized uh, by 10% or something uh, like that. So uh, this is not the case with, uh, with the cash. This is not the case if you have a cash with you at home. And this shall not be the case uh, with digital uh, currency, uh, which, first of all, is risk-free, as Mr. Jedek uh, uh, mentioned. And this is uh, uh, exactly the case uh, uh, where maybe uh, if we go a century uh, back or uh, 100 years ago, we have a Glass-Steagall Act, if you may remember, in uh, America. Uh, and this was uh, the split between investment banking and uh, commercial banking. And now we are talking about transactional banking, uh, so uh, the payments, and all the other uh, investments uh, which are also in commercial area. That means uh, you put your money, you deposit your money with, with a certain financial institution. And this financial institution use this money and uh, grants loans or invest them. Uh, and uh, if we, we were able to split this, which I'm not sure we can uh, nowadays, uh, we would uh, make a split between risk-free uh, and uh, risk-bearing uh, transactions. So, uh, so I'm definitely uh, in, uh, in favor of uh, CBDC and... Uh, that's not uh, only uh, my opinion. I think uh, from a global perspective, there's a situation when you are market uh, maker, market leader, and market follower. Uh, and in a situation the Chinese or the Americans do so, we have to follow them uh, one day. So uh, this was uh, the answer to the uh, CBDC. To the currencies, there's a extremely, or the basic questions, uh, question uh, which we've touched uh, just partially, the monopoly. How to deal uh, with the uh, currency monopoly uh, or a monetary monopoly, uh, which is now with, with the state and which 
gives uh, the stability uh, to the system and uh, uh, this is especially uh, after Bretton Woods uh, 71, I think, uh, uh, very important as all the uh, currencies are more or less uh, virtual and just covered by a law. Uh, the law stating that uh, everything, uh, uh, every uh, local currency, it means Euro in Slovakia and Czech crown uh, in Czech Republic, uh, is uh, covered uh, by uh, the goods and the services uh, produced uh, in the country or in the area, in case of the Euro area, which is not the case with the Bitcoin, which is not the case with other uh, crypto uh, assets. And this is the huge difference uh, in how to deal with that. Uh, from my perspective, all the cryptocurrencies are now in area, and I think Miss, uh, uh, one of the speakers uh, before me uh, touched that. Uh, these are not the currencies, these are the assets. It means uh, we deal with them as, uh, as with assets or investments. And uh, yeah, we, we, may, we can make... Uh, uh, deals or transactions in real life uh, to transfer just goods or services uh, between uh, us without medium of exchange, without using uh, money. But at the end, uh, we shall have a system, financial system, which should not be fragile and which shall uh, bear some uh, guarantees and, uh, yeah, you know, 21st century and uh, we want more guarantees and more securities and more uh, certainties in our lives. And uh, therefore, uh, I think digital euro shall be developed and will be developed. Uh, we shall be uh, taking care, uh, dealing with, uh, with uh, some crypto assets. This is still an uh, area of investment uh, and everybody should uh, take care of who's, what's his choice. I mean, stable coins are a different story. Uh, the other uh, coins are other story. And uh, if you touch uh, the Bitcoin, yeah, I, one, one limit of, uh, of Bitcoin, for example, is that uh, we have a limited amount of Bitcoins at the end. And uh, there's one problem with, uh, with this currency, that uh, it's, uh, if, if we would have a world where the Bitcoin is the only one currency and not an investment good, uh, the, the world would disrupt, implode at the end, uh, because... Uh, uh, from medieval age, uh, we, we live in more or less peaceful uh, circumstances due to the fact that we are able to grow and not just uh, uh, to, uh, to transfer uh, the stable wealth uh, among us. And uh, therefore, uh, if we are not able to follow uh, to the growth with, with the growth in the money supply, the world uh, would not function. So this is my uh, answer to you. That's a very good answer. Now, Bitcoin is, of course, a little bit like uh, gold money, uh, where there's a limited amount of gold in the world. Now I would like Martin Brunko from Binance to say his view here. And I will say one thing first. So far, cryptocurrencies have not created any financial downturns in the world, and we haven't seen any real... May I just have a quick response to the question of, you know, what about Bitcoin being used for criminal purposes, right? And again, you know, if you operate any kind of uh, infrastructure in the crypto world, this is your anathema. This is your number one concern. You don't want to be in any way involved, abating, helping, you know, unknowingly any kind of financial crime. So again, this is something, you know, AML, uh, financial crime prevention, this is something that's being taken extremely seriously at Binance. Uh, really, 
massive resources being poured into it uh, uh, because, well, this is just, it's just so important uh, um, uh, for all of us. I mean, just like if you operate any kind of fiat-based uh, uh, institution, uh, financial institution. However, um, I wanted to also add is that I think it's a little bit unfair because this is quite often used against sort of, you know, crypto, well, you know, this is just for criminals. Uh, it's such a good instrument for criminals. Actually, I would dare to argue that the best instrument for criminals to pass value is something this is, that's issued with a monopoly power by the central bank. It's called cash. Uh, and actually, if you compare cash to Bitcoin, for, uh, in a way, uh, uh, Bitcoin is much more traceable. And this is why you often now hear these days about, okay, there was some criminal act committed, money was stolen, money was transferred, and actually, it was able to be recovered because, well, that's the whole point of blockchain, that, that the transactions are actually recorded on the blockchain. You can trace them, not always, but you can uh, trace them. So again, um, um, I think we need to be mindful of, of, of arguments which are quite skewed sometimes. Uh, so a Bitcoin transaction is reversible? Uh, well, and, and like cash transaction, I guess, is also reversible, right? But it's, yes. it's the question that really, key important question here is the traceability of the transactions. What you're saying is, of course, true. I mean, the drug lords in South America, they have not uh, replaced the dollars for bitcoins, for example. I don't know anything about Well, I actually, <laughs> I, actually, I actually looked it up the other day because I was interested to see if the big, uh, big crime is actually using digital currency instead of good old hard cash. But no, they're sticking to cash. Now, I would like to hear a word from what the central bankers uh, think about um, cryptocurrency in general and uh, after the state secretary's uh, ideas regarding that we should have a digital euro. Should that digital euro be created by the central banks or it's okay with the digital euro created by commercial banks or other players? Who would like to go first? I'll address this question, but I really want to comment on something which was said on the previous uh, uh, remarks as well. Um, when I select my portfolio of cryptocurrencies, I'm joking here, but if I would be, you know, I would definitely would not look into a crypto token which, you know, doesn't have a stable supply, uh, where the, you know, the supply of tokens increased more than 25% in six months. Uh, I definitely, you know, are looking because I'm a knowledgeable person. I'm looking that, you know, how many people control the issuance. So if issuance is concentrated in one place, like one node, I would definitely uh, look suspicious. And so if, if for example, um, there is this new token uh, where the supply increased in six months, uh, more than 25%. Uh, that token is minted by one node on the network. And uh, there's no supply cap. So unlike in, in, in Bitcoin, where there is a supply cap, there is no supply cap. So that really looks suspicious to me. But uh, I think you know that token. So I'll ask you later what this riddle is about. But uh, more seriously on these issues, uh, yes. So the supply in the economy of money is increasing. Um, and how fast it is increasing is, you know, is the essence of uh, monetary economics and, you know, the science of, trying to control uh, the value of the currency without affecting the, the financial market and the real economy. Uh, but 
referring again to what the analogy was being made uh, by the colleague from the Binance, you know, that uh, maybe, and now answering your question, should this private market or the centralized institutions like central banks produce this uh, uh, almost infrastructure solution? Uh, a good example of uh, how things could go wrong is specifically the electricity market that um, a colleague from the Binance referred to. Uh, look what happened in the United Kingdom. Uh, then uh, the financial, not sorry, not the financial, the electricity market was fully deregulated and uh, private market participants were able to provide electricity. It looks fine. Uh, competition, uh, competition drives prices down. Consumers are very happy. And then you hit turbulence. Turbulence due to outside uh, reasons, uh, pushing, pushing electricity prices high. The providers are not able to provide the agreed electricity at the fixed price and they implode. And all of a sudden, uh, the state finds a new function. Uh, we central bankers, you know, we are the, the lenders of last resort. Uh, during the global financial crisis, we became market makers of last resort. I don't think that we are looking for providers of last resort function as well. In case private market participants develop a provision of uh, currency as such, and if it doesn't work, then we have to back it up. But that's also a possibility. The other world is where the central bank is providing that uh, infrastructure uh, with certainty because I don't think that the citizen on, on the street really differentiates. Uh, is, it, uh, is it commercial money that I'm dealing in, you know, bank account, or is it uh, my money at the central bank? Uh, early stage trials with citizens, real citizens, allowing them and asking really uh, kind of uh, behavioral type of questions uh, are showing that A, service say people uh, value privacy, in reality, not really. Uh, will they use central bank currency? Meaning they will use it to the extent that we will create financial stability issues. Maybe quite the opposite. People don't see the, the benefit. You know, how is my uh, e-wallet worse compared to this another e-wallet that the central bank will provide to me. So we have to show the benefits to the consumers, uh, to the citizens, and other, or otherwise, you know, the solution that we'll create will not be used. So that's my answer to the question, is, is it centrally provided or private market provided? You're thinking about central bank issues versus privately issued, let's say, stable coin or e check crowns in your case as, as i said uh, even today uh, the payment system is dominated by private money as we have a monopoly on issuing banknotes and coins but uh, definitely we cannot use our monopoly to influence something okay we have to provide as much banknotes as much let's say 1000 banknotes uh, 500 banknotes as the public uh, needs yes if we didn't comply with this request uh, uh, the smoothness of <coughs> circulation would would collapse okay that, that's uh, the, the reason 
Um, and I think the same would be with uh, the CBDC. Yes, uh, we will, Central Bank may have a monopoly on issuing the CBDC, but it depends on the public, yes, how much they will demand uh, uh, this uh, CBDC. As far as the regulation of uh, cryptocurrencies, stablecoins, stable and so on, of course, we understand uh, that uh, this should be addressed on uh, the European level. As uh, we are small countries, we cannot uh, uh, cannot uh, think that we can develop uh, the regulation of our own. So, therefore, we are participating in in uh, various committees, yes, which address uh, this issue. And our position is. Uh, as, a kind of uh, technological neutrality. Yes. If some instruments provide the same, more or less the same services uh, with the more or less the same degree of risk, they should enjoy the same regulation. Okay? They, they should not enjoy some comparative advantage from less deregulation. Thank you for a clear answer. Uh, clearly, you see that uh, private initiatives and commercial banks are very well suited for this market. And uh, as long as it's well regulated and controlled by the right authority, there is no reason for the central bank to intervene. Can I summarize it like that? Then I have a follow-up question here to Ludovic Oder from Slovakia, Slovak Central Bank. Do you see stablecoin as a great alternative to costly cross-border transactions? Today, it's expensive to pay with cards and other means for cross-border transactions. Basically, uh, consumer, consumer transactions with businesses abroad, or even business to business for that matter. Question relates very much to the, to the previous one. So what can be a function of a central bank issued digital currency? Because even now we see there is a competition actually on on uh, markets. Still, the merchants pay a lot of money when they when we use uh, uh, cards. Uh, the same, there is competition on in international payments, but still uh, it uh, takes uh, ages, and it is extremely costly. So one potential way of uh, thinking about CBDC is a kind of a providing an alternative which can actually increase the competition. If the central bank provides maybe not as good service as, as uh, uh, the banking sector can, because you know, we are not very good at uh, creating user experiences and apps and, and, and whatever, but at least there is a robust infrastructure like a multi-country CBDC at a reasonable price. So basically, that can drive the, the whole market, like the stablecoin market, in, in order to move in that direction and provide better services, cheaper services, and quicker services to the, uh, to the world. So from that point of view, it, it, it applies also uh, uh, to a domestic use of uh, the digital euro. For example, if we provide a relatively cheap alternative, then uh, probably also card companies and other payment providers will have to adjust. Uh, the question is, and this is a really big question, that you know it is not so easy to create a market. Uh, it is not so easy.
the players because the central banks wants the banking system to distribute the digital currency or central bank digital currency. Then, you know, uh, the banks are also providing card services to the merchant. What, what are the incentives? Who should do what? Who should pay uh, what party? How much money? So in that sense, and that is, that is I think, uh, uh, the real reason we are uh, progressing cautiously uh, towards uh, digital uh, euro or a central bank digital currency that also it includes uh, a, a huge huge uh, uh, change or, or it means a huge change to the market of the payment infrastructure and you know disrupting markets it, it's not so good if we are very successful we can crowd out private solutions and, and then that can be a problem if we are not successful in that case, nobody will use the digital euro. So, you know, finding the middle ground is is not so easy. But uh, back to your question, actually, I, I think that um, uh, also in this sense, the central bank of Malta, multi-country central bank digital currency can actually also uh, enhance the uh, speed towards uh, much better services at the international uh, transactions level. Is that the case for um, wholesale CBDC instead of retail CBDC? That's my follow-up question. Yes, uh, that is more tricky question because now we already have also CBDC. Actually, the central bank is providing digital money to the banking sector in the form of reserves. So the question is that should we enlarge uh, that possibility also to other players, for example, other service providers, or, you know, and on that sense, um, it, uh, it is really something Mario started to talk about that, uh, you know, who should have access to the uh, central bank balance sheet and do, do we need to provide a, a liquidity of last resort to uh, the whole system or through the banking sector? In, in, that, in that particular question, we are progressing even, even more slowly because, you know, there are more questions right now than answers. So the digital euro is also more about uh, uh, the retail aspect of it. And on a wholesale, now we are sticking to the good old-fashioned, uh, uh, you know, uh, financial players' access to the central bank balance sheet, but we are not in a rush to enlarge uh, that universum of, of firms to access our balance sheet. Aldrich. I have one uh, comment. How important is it to develop appropriate infrastructure and uh, provide a wide range of services? I think there are even cases uh, which can be termed as a failure of a CBDC. Uh, if, I'm not mis if I'm not mistaken, in Uruguay, okay, there was a program of called uh, Dinero Electronico, and uh, the program was terminated because the public was not so interested. Uh, I wonder what is, uh, for example, the development in uh, the Bahamas. Okay, it was the first country which introduced this CBDC, and uh, I think that uh, the results so far are not so encouraging as that the people are rushing yes for holding and using the cbdc therefore it's really yes important to think it twice and uh, you, you said there are two choices yes to be 
too successful and too unsuccessful. So uh, there are some cases, yes, which demonstrated that even uh, the lack of success can happen. I completely see your point there because the Swedish Central Bank has been working with CBDC for a long time now and they could launch it any day. The only reason they're not interested in launching it, they don't see a market. So they're waiting for the market basically. And Martin from Binance, do you see CBDC as a competitor or a complement or is something that can help your business even? I mean, just just to follow up first on this, on what Mr. Jerek just raised, uh, uh, you know, why are why aren't they so wildly successful? I think it goes back. There is a couple of dimensions here. One is the element, the, the element and dimension of trust. Goes back to what I was, you know, saying at the beginning. I mean, if you in certain countries, if you don't trust the state, if you don't trust the central bank, if they're going to issue a currency, probably the trust will be very low. And I think you know, in a lot of Latin American countries, certainly in Argentina. I would be very wary about holding a, uh, you know, their 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 the their issued CBDC as opposed to some, some other. Uh, but then, if you actually look at other places in Europe, I mean, I think you know Germany, but basically pretty much all of Europe. I'm actually quite um, optimistic, you know, about CDB, uh, CBDCs. I think there's a real role to be played. Uh, I think it could be a very interesting instrument. Again, it's part of the essential infrastructure. Uh, uh, in a way, and it's just a question of sort of, you know, essential at what level, and I think it's very fundamentally essential. So um, I actually look forward to the day when, uh, you know, the digital euro is in place, and, and I think it can be very, very helpful and, and useful. So, again, I think it's about finding the right balance. Uh, uh, I think the jury is still out, whether the, CB, you know, whether the stable coins as this infrastructure uh, will um, eventually only be government provided or whether there will be a real role for uh, private sector ones. But I think in the meantime, going back, you know, regulation is, is, is critical and oversight is critical because, you know, there are some stable coins uh, about which there have been many questions and even, uh, even a serious investigations uh, in the U.S. And I think because that's the real risk then to the financial stability uh, that this can trigger and not just financial stability of the crypto market, but the financial stability of the wider fiat market. Thank you very much. We have a question, second question from the audience here. Isn't digital currency, digital euro a necessity, considering the position of euro in international trade? In case, in other words, the e Juan proves useful for global settlements. That is the question. Who would like to grab this one? The e-euro is a necessity, given that euros are used in international settlements. So, okay, I'm being very daring to say something in front of three central bankers here on this topic. Uh, but I think, you know, I'm actually very bullish on the role of euro, uh, you know, as a reserve currency and as a, you know, currency of international settlement. So I think it's important that Europe does have, um, uh, and the euro does have that role not just in the fiat world, but also in the crypto world. Actually, if you look at now, you know, the kind of a reserve currency status of the euro in the crypto world, it's tiny. It's, it's almost non-existent. I think that's an issue, and I think that needs to be addressed. And again, the question is, what's the best way of addressing it? Uh, and um, is this something that needs to be pushed more by the central European Central Bank, other central banks, or is this something that can be done uh, by the private sector or in collaboration between private sector and the central banks?
Thank you, Marius. I would like to link to our previous discussion uh, that we had on the uh, regulatory environment of a subject and uh, the concept of provision of service and you know who is the provider of a service and how he, he or she is regulated. Uh, for example, Binance does not provide services in some of the member states where we are currently located. But still, citizens uh, have accounts at Binance. Although Binance, as I said, does not provide services. And that relates to the issue that you just asked. Um, is the euro a necessity? If or for some reason citizens in a particular country start using a currency or stable coin, be it privately or state issued uh, for their transactions, how can we prevent it if it's all done digitally? Do we have to introduce a new legal uh, concept of what does this mean provision of service um, because right now if I'm not advertising if I'm not uh, you know if you all of a sudden open a, a WeChat account uh, if it's in, all in Chinese but you manage to go through with a translator how can you prove to me that you know uh, WeChat is providing services uh, in your particular country and think through what could be done utilizing such a logic so all these issues that we just discussed are linked together. Uh, how we prevent from a national perspective, how we prevent consumers uh, from a consumer protection perspective, you know, if a certain market participant uh, uh, is providing or not providing services, what the European Commission is proposing. And all of this is a, it's a very, uh, very I think it's unfinished business and uh, there's still a lot of to, to be debated. Thank you, Marius. Uh, who would like to follow up on this question? Maybe Martin or no? Here we go. Uh, I, I just wanted to say one, one, one thing related to that, that actually when there was a report on a potential introduction of the digital euro, there were many scenarios. So these are the scenarios when we might consider introducing the uh, digital euro. And the majority of those scenarios were defensive. So. If something happens, therefore, we should react to it and better to be prepared than, you know, to be surprised by, by the market. But there were also two, three scenarios proactive. That if we would like to increase, for example, the international role of euro, we might uh, be considering uh, even, even uh, introducing uh, digital euro earlier in order to provide services, for example, uh, in international trade and so on. But definitely my feeling is that right now in Europe, uh, the defensive uh, scenarios are prevailing. So we, we would like to be ready if something happens and not use digital euro as a tool or as a necessity to, uh, you know, increase the, the role of this currency in international transactions. Thank you. So we covered everything here from digital currency in general central banks' roles, CBDC, stable coins. I have one more follow-up question on stable coins. Argentina was mentioned a few times here. Uh, I was thinking with another country much closer to us right now, like Lebanon, that have a currency collapse, basically, and people have no access to money. Could stable coins in euros or dollars be the solution to like monetize a country like Lebanon again? I don't know 
who this question fits for. Actually, uh, you know, we have many dollarized countries or euroized countries. So my question is, what is, uh, for example, for some uh, collapsed economy like Venezuela and so on, uh, what would be the advantage of some uh, digital, let's say, Venezuelan currency? I think, I think it was already mentioned that people would not trust as uh, the central bank money if uh, the country as such is not uh, trusted. So <clears throat> uh, I think that the dollarization is a standard way, okay, how to, uh, how to uh, uh, remove uh, the national currency from the circulation if it is not uh, trusted. Of course, that's what I mean, that countries like Lebanon or Argentina, they could choose a digital dollar or a digital euro, not local currency. And given it's a digital currency, it's less, uh, it's more difficult for local uh, authorities and politicians to interfere in the currency issue and circulation than if the local banks are um, dispensing dollars or euros instead of local currency. That's why I might see it could be an advantage for a a country that needs to dollarize and there's very little trust in uh, authorities. Anyway, I think we are, are at 11 o'clock now and it's time to wrap up this discussion and I would like to thank first the State Secretary, Marcel Klimek, our keynote speaker, Marius Jurgiles, board member of the Bank of Lithuania. Thank you, it was very good to have you on board. Ludovic Oder, Deputy Governor of National Bank of Slovakia. Marcel Klimek, sorry I mentioned you already, I have you twice on my list here. Aldrich Jedek, Bank Board Member, Czech National Bank. Rok Schwelz, Legal Officer, Visma European Commission, thank you for attending online. And Martin Brunko from Binance, who is really involved in this industry on a practical level. It's very nice to hear all your insights. Thank you all very much.